the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 111 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your week to spend with us today. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself, at JustinHughes365, and you can follow Andrew, at AMCQ82. If you haven't done so yet, join our Facebook group, Baseball365, where we ha- we're getting really active right now with the season getting this close. There's people still forming draft and hold leagues here at the last minute before the season starts. A lot of questions going on, excitement all over the group with spring training going on right now. And if you have not done so yet, go join, go join the group and find people just as passionate as yourself about the game. And uh, the best way you can support our show is to go to iTunes just by taking a few moments, leaving us a five-star rating and le- writing a nice review is a good way to help us get our name out there. And doing so would make us very appreciative. And as always, all of these plugs can be found in the show notes. On tonight's an- episode, Andrew and I are finishing up the position previews with everybody's favorite position, catchers, and we're going to do some utility at the end, utility players. So... Hope you're all excited, and Andrew, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Chris and Lucas on last episode. What's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? <laughs> Honestly, all of them. <laughs> I, don't even, <laughs> I don't even have a real answer. I, I like shortbread quite a bit. I know it's boring, but um, I always like those. But yeah, I like all of them. I've really, I don't think I've ever had one that I don't like. I don't know if I'd ever had a shortbread until this last week when I bought one for my daughter. Because I saw, like, you can eat, I think it's like two of those cookies and six grams of sugar. It may have been a serving size is four. I'd have to go look. And I was like, oh, that's a nice <laughs> small amount of sugar, so I'll give those for her. And I've started eating a couple. I'm like, oh, yeah, those are good. So, yeah, yeah, like That's a good one. But, yeah, there's, there's like I said, I've, I've had a lot of them and. I've never had a bad one. So So where you're at, they're called Caramel Delights because you live not too far from Lucas, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually what I always thought they were called. I never even heard of, what is it, Samoas Samoas or something? Yeah, I never heard of that. Yeah, no, that's a thing. I don't remember. A couple years ago, I heard that on a podcast, and it was the first I'd heard anybody say that. All right, well, we're going to get into catchers first. And, Andrew, I've got last year's top 10 for you, and I'm just going to read them off here. We got JT Real Muto at 57 overall. He was the clear number one catcher last year. Number two was Gary Sanchez at 86. Grand Dollar pick number 97. Mitch Garver at 113. Wilson Contreras at 121. Will Smith at 149. Wilson Ramos, catcher number seven at 180. Eight picks later was Salvador Perez, number eight catcher. Christian Vasquez was the ninth. And Carson Kelly was the tenth catcher on the board at 217 in terms of ADP. What's your reaction to that list? Uh, more, I think more duds than, than uh, some of the other lists. But, yeah, some good and some bad, really. Yeah, it was about 50-50 looking at it. It's pretty close to 50-50 in terms of guys that were duds, and that's not a good ratio for a top 10. Yeah, yeah. So with that being said, how have you been attacking catchers this year? Well, I I think there's really two ways that people attack it, and 
One is to be aggressive and, you know, there's some people that think they make a big difference and there's some that just want to wait. You know, it's like a, I feel like those are kind of the two common ideas with that. So I'm more kind of in the camp of wanting to get, uh, get at least one good catcher. Um, I think that there's, you know, everybody has their guys. Like once you get deep into the draft that, oh, you know, this guy could be good or this guy could break out, et cetera. But they also might not. And you could have two roster spots that are kind of rough. So I like getting one, potentially even two, um, depending on where I'm at, you know, who's available and stuff like that. There's been a couple drafts where I've gotten two guys that are pretty high up. So um, I feel like I'm probably more aggressive on it than most. But um, I mean, I see both sides of it. I just, I don't really like the idea of, um, punting it and then you know you just hope you get the breakout I mean if you hit the breakout of course it's great but if you don't I just I feel like it could be really gross so you know you and I agree on a lot of things but this is one where I think I've gone the opposite direction than where you've been most of this off season, and I'm not even certain I'm right on it but until this last draft the eighth draft I, I guess the sixth redraft league fifth fifth redraft i've been a part of this this one was the first one where i was actually aggressive and i took a top 10 catcher and every other one i haven't punted it but i've been pretty close to punting it i've been taking a lot of those catchers between like 15 and 20 15 and 25 where i've not invested early in but i've tried getting like in the 18th to 20th round 17th to 20th round i've tried grabbing two guys pretty quick to not get to the very bottom of the list and I I think it's because as I as I look at this list last year how ugly it was and I'm like well I don't want to be bottom of the barrel but I like a few of those values at 15 to 25 guys who I think could be top 10 guys this year but if they're not I think they'll at least be comfortable getting at bats so we've definitely been different here I do understand like you're saying I understand the other side to being aggressive and getting one of these guys because the bottom of the barrel was so rough last year that if you got one of the good performers like Salvador Perez, that was huge. And compared to those guys who had Carson Kelly and were taking him as a top 10 guy and ended up getting really rough production or Mitch Garver as another example. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's obviously different ways you can do it. I mean, um, I feel like in a lot of my drafts, I'm, you know, taking the pitching early, taking middle infield early. And I, I don't know, like I, I feel like the, the teams where I've gotten um, one or two of the guys that are ranked fairly highly, I look at the team at the end and I just feel like it's better. I, I don't know if it's – it's probably has something to do with, uh, like, you know, you like a late outfielder. You know, you, you feel like you can fill in the fourth and fifth outfielders maybe – a few rounds later, later in the draft, whatever, or, you know, corner bats have been waiting on basically in every draft this offseason. So stuff like that, I mean, you know, you kind of as you're going through the draft and it's like there's kind of a spot there where it's just like, well, I, I'd like to lock up one of those guys. But, I mean, I get it if it's the other way too. It, it, they can all work, especially if you hit the right guy. Yes, for sure. And the guy at number one this year, the clear top catcher in fantasy baseball this year, again, 
is JT Real Muto, a bigger gap than even last year, where he was he was 30 picks ahead of Gary Sanchez last year. This year, his ADP is 41 picks over the next catcher. Um, even with a broken thumb right now, I think the most recent news that's come is he's elig- he's cleared for baseball activities. Isn't that correct, Andrew? I believe so, yeah. I think that's what they said this weekend. And given we're two and a half weeks from opening day, I think that gives them a pretty good shot for being ready for opening day. Wouldn't, wouldn't you you feel more comfortable right now about that? Yeah, you would think. I mean, it's probably close if not, so. Yeah. So you do have to pay a heavy price. He's a third-round pick. Andrew, I know you've taken him at least once in the third round this offseason. Are you still comfortable doing that with the opening day at least somewhat in question now? I've actually only taken him once, and it was in the fourth round. Okay. Um, like the middle of the fourth. It was 54. I want to say – I actually want to say it was the day that that happened, that the injury <laughs> happened. It was It was right around – when it was that'll show you uh but i felt yeah (laughs) i felt uh yeah i felt pretty good about it and i still feel pretty good about it i mean he should be back around opening day and pretty clearly the best catcher in the game right now so but let me dive into that you said you took him in the fourth round there i know you've been intrigued at the idea of taking him in the third round has he just not been there for you, or you haven't had the gut, like the guts? I shouldn't say guts, but you've have you've you've liked other people and just didn't feel the need to take him in the third. Like, could you yeah. see a scenario where you could take him in the third round? Uh, I would have said yes before the injury for sure, and okay. I was That's kind of nice. always yeah, I was kind of always looking at him there, but it was just one of those things. It was whether it would be another guy fell or I just decided to take um, like Witt or mm-hmm. Tim Anderson, who are two guys that I've taken in round three a couple times, stuff like that. It's not, it wasn't like I wouldn't have taken him with the injury, maybe more towards the back of the third or the early part of the fourth. Yeah. But um, yeah, just kind of one of those where you kind of have to be in the right spot and, it hit like your needs and stuff. And there was just other guys I liked too. But let's, let's talk about why that is. Why is he such an advanced? Like why is his price this high? I mean, he was going in the fourth, fifth round last year. And now we're talking third, fourth round. It's mostly, I mean, why don't you just go into that at least and explain why? I mean, the big thing is, is every team, you know, we're assuming just to be off the top, 15 team two catcher. I mean, that's what yes. most of the leagues that this ADP comes from are. So that's 30 catchers starting. If you play in a league where it's, you know, 12 team one catcher or 12 team, you know, maybe even 12 team two catcher or 15 team one catcher, um, you could argue that that should go up or down. You know, some would say it should go down, but then sometimes there's also a big advantage to even having the top guy in that spot too, you know, in a shallower league. So it's hard to say, but uh, 15 team two catcher, you know, there's guys starting the 28th, 29th, 30th best catcher in theory. So the gap between JT real Muto and those guys, it's, it's obviously just massive. And that's why he's going here. I mean, is he going to have the same sheer numbers as, 
some of the other guys going in the third round? Probably not. But when you consider, you know, it's position scarcity, you know, you hear it all the time, but that's really what it is. I mean, it's the gap between him and the replacement level value at the, at the position. Yeah. Uh, catchers are in a way kind of like pitching with that in terms of the two positions that are the most scarce. And, you know, I'm going to go out of order. Usually we try doing this one through going down the list one through 30, but like you're saying about those 28, 29, 30 guys, just to give you a couple of these names that are in there at the back end of the top 30, you're talking about Elias Diaz. You're talking about Tyler Stevenson, Jacob Stallings, Jacob Max Stassi. Those are the guys that people are going to be throwing out there in two catcher leagues as compared. And yeah, when you look at and maybe and probably probably even lower than that, when you consider injuries. And yes. Stuff. And you're talking a guy who's going to get you, you know, steamer projects. Uh, let's just go actually instead of going with steamer 2019, he had nine, uh, 92 runs and 83 RBI and 34 home runs plus steals. And you talk about that versus one of these other guys who you're probably talking about like a 220 batting average with 12 home runs and maybe 120 home runs plus steals. It's it's a big difference. That's a huge difference that you're getting there. So that's the argument for Rio Mudo right there. Yeah, definitely. And and you can fill out you know, the other thing is, is you can fill out some of these other positions with, you know, I, I feel like when you get into the draft a little bit, like the the gap between some of the outfielders or uh, maybe like corner infield, you know, when you get in like the round eight to 10 or 10 to 15 range, like they're so thin that you can get guys to slip a little bit. And that's kind of the argument for taking somebody like Real Muto high. So, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move in here to the number two guy, and that'd be Salvador Perez. Andrew, I, I remember you really liking Perez at his one eighty eight ADP last year. I think he was one of your favorite values from any position. Now he's a top hundred player. So thoughts on him now with the increased price, and is he your number two catcher? Uh, he is my number two. Um, I haven't gotten him anywhere and I think that it's mostly just because I, I kind of look at it like real Muto and then the rest and there's a couple or at least one guy a little further down that I would just rather wait on, but it's nothing wrong with Perez. I mean, he's fine. Obviously, if it's an OBP league or something like that, you have to ding him because he doesn't walk really, but um, should be good five, uh, four category contributor. Obviously he's going to play every day and been pretty durable for the most part. Um, so yeah, I, I don't mind him. I, I haven't gotten him anywhere. It doesn't mean I wouldn't draft him. He just seems to go in a spot where I'm trying to lock up uh, a few different things. So, I should have had a share this offseason. Um, Andrew, you, you kind of talked about this when you saw these draft results. I was in one of my draft and holds. He fell to the 10th round, and I still didn't yeah, take I him remember. just because I, I, was like, I was just like, I'm waiting on this position. I'm, I, he went too far, and I should have jumped on him on the 8th, ninth, ninth round, and I didn't. 
And I do regret that one. But, yeah, he's the number two guy. I, I do agree. <clears throat> um, Will Smith. He was being aggressively drafted last year, and it paid off. In those 37 games played, he had eight home runs, 23 runs, and 25 RBI. Steamer is scaling back the projections with a 238 average and 19 home runs. Would you over, under, or chop those two stats? What was he said? 238, was it? Uh, let's see. And Yes, 238 I'm sorry, and 19. I'm sorry, I was... Um, I think I would maybe slightly over him. Yeah, but not not by a lot. So two thirty, like, do you think the average? Like, where would you put the average at then? Would if you were just setting an over under two forties, two forty to two fifty? Man, why is it that low? I mean, the guy. I, that's what my, I'm not understanding in terms of. I guess throughout the minor leagues and the upper minors, he was striking out quite a bit. But, man, only a 16% rate there last year. And, you know, it was 26% in that his first run in the bigs, but only 18% in AAA. I don't know. I think if he's keeping it down that low, I, I don't know. I think he could be a 250, 260 hitter is what I would be projecting. So I guess I'm, I'm, on, I'm over on that. And, yeah, I'd over on the home runs too. But... Anyway, that's a beautiful spot for him to be as the the guy in L.A. now. Um, Yeah, definitely. Okay, I got four more here for you. I just grouped them together, four through seven. We got Wilson Contreras, uh, Yasmany Grandal, Travis Darno, Christian Vasquez. These guys are going between 123 and 147. How would you rank those four? Grandal, Contreras, Darno, Vasquez. So I would just flip Grandal and Contreras. Okay. So why Contreras or Grandal over Contreras? Well, you know, it's just I I really like uh, Grandal's. I just have a soft spot for him. I think it's because he walks a ton, and you know, I know he's in. Like I like these guys that have higher OBPs, and um, like kind of on the surface, you you think. Because, you know, Grandal doesn't typically hit for really good batting averages. I mean, but I feel like he's going to be hitting higher in the order. Um, obviously, the White Sox lineup is great. I mean, I think there's a chance that he's hitting third in the order, at least sometimes. Um, and at least going to be higher than a lot of catchers that are, uh, well, just any of them, really, just because of, of that alone. So I feel like that's going to drive the counting stats. Uh, they have nobody else to catch. I mean, he's the guy. So I think it's just a little bit over Contreras, mostly because of the lineup. And I think I would project him for more home runs too. So, but it's close. I've actually, uh, in two leagues, I've taken both of them, Grandal and Contreras, back-to-back. Hmm, that's so, pretty. Um, I don't mind either one. I would take Grandal first, but. Yeah, I kind of like this group besides Vasquez. I even like Darno a little bit. I don't think I have him anywhere yet, but um, yeah, it's just kind of the last of what I would call the really good catchers. I mean, maybe I don't know. I don't feel great about about Vasquez, like I said. And there's one or two left that I kind of like, so I probably am waiting if it's after. I kind of look at Darno as the line, and then it drops some, but. 
Um, yeah, I like these guys for the most part. I mean, I feel like they're going to contribute and give you an edge in the category or in the uh, at the position. So you mentioned lineup there, and Grindall hitting higher, and I was like, well, where's Wilson Contreras projected to hit? So I opened up roster resource. Do you know where they have him projected on that? Doesn't mean it's right, but do you probably know what... four or five, two. <laughs> I don't That's buy fine. that. <laughs> like. You have Ian Happ leading off, and then you got Wilson Contreras, then Rizzo and Bryant and Jock Peterson. I just, I don't know why on earth you would want, not want Jock Peterson hitting in that two hole whenever they're facing a right-handed hitter, pitcher. I just, I mean, he's such a good guy at getting on base versus right-handers. I would want him in that two hole. I mean, you're putting him and Rizzo back to back. Yeah. I don't know. Put Bryant in the three hole or Contreras. That's weird. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know if I see see him in second, but either way, the difference in lineups is pretty massive. So yeah, yes, I hate kills me to say it. <laughs> it really kills you. <laughs> okay, um, I think you covered those four pretty good. We're trying to um, get through these guys, so we'll move on to the next group. Uh, I got five catchers here, going between one sixty four and one eighty. We got Austin Nola with the Padres at one sixty four, Dalton Varsho the catcher-slash-outfielder for the Diamondbacks at 166, Sean Murphy at 167, Gary Sanchez at 170, and James McCann at 180. Who do you like on this group? I think I I kind of like all of them a little bit besides Nola. Um, he actually, actually an injury, right? about an hour before we started recording that he fractured his finger or whatever. Yeah. His left finger. So, but it sounds like he'll be probably ready for opening day. They're saying, okay. Um, might be pushing it obviously, but yeah, the other ones, um, I've got, I, I did get Varsho in one spot. Uh, I, I like Varsho. I just, I guess the main thing with Varsho is I heard some whispers of him possibly not starting in the majors. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yes. Yeah. Which, Man, that would be a bummer on that team, especially. I it's I haven't heard much lately, so I don't know if anything's changed on that. That was a little bit ago, but um just something to keep an eye out. I mean, if I feel like that in a best case for Varsho, it's like the most played appearances at the position are close. Maybe not the most, but close. Because he can play outfield. I mean, he's gonna play a lot of outfield. Yep. Um or at least you would think, you know. So there's nothing better than having a catcher or a catcher-eligible player in fantasy that is starting a bunch of games in the outfield and a few at catcher, you know. So that's beautiful if that were to happen, and obviously that kind of just drives everything. He could potentially chip in 8 to 12 steals or something, which gives you some edge there too. So um, that's nice. I do like him, but... I feel like he's trending down a little bit just because of that uncertainty. You don't really want to be holding a catcher on your bench for too long, you know, that's just sitting in the minors. So it's kind of a tricky one there. But um, Murphy, I like some. I just I haven't gotten him. Uh, and then Sanchez and McCann, I think, are both fine too. Like, they're fine. I, I f- when you get to about this spot, is um, kind of where I want to. I'd like to have one. You know, it's by this by the end of this tier. If I don't have one, then I'm thinking, ugh, it could be two ugly ones. You know, and I 
I think there's guys below this that can work out, but um, I feel like you're kind of playing with fire a little bit. McCann early in the offseason was one of my favorites because before he signed with the Mets, he was just going down there in drafts. Yeah. I, my very first draft and hold that we did with Chris Wender, uh, I think I got him in like the 18th round. So we're talking almost 100 picks after this. But he has definitely shot up since then. Good hitter. But Gary Sanchez, where are you at on him? Because there's a big part of the fantasy community that's wanting no part, thinking he's done. But, you know, it wasn't long ago this guy was, I mean, what, hitting in the – I think he's cleared 30 home runs before, hasn't he? Now you got me wondering. I'm going to try to yeah. quickly pull it up. He's hit 33 home runs with 79 RB runs and 90 RBI in 2017. He had another 34 just two years ago with a 232 average. So the last full season we played, he was a top of the line catcher right there. But it was obviously so ugly last year that a lot of people are out. Where are you at with him? I'm kind of, I, I don't mean to sound like a hedge, but I, I kind of am in the middle. I, I see both sides of it totally. Um, I've actually grabbed him on a couple teams, like a little bit after this. I want to say I, I want to say one of them was after pick two hundred and one was right around there. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm basically when I have him, I'm I know it's probably going to be a rough batting average, but I also know that he can lead the lead all catchers in home runs fairly easily. So. Um, I, I do. I, I see both sides of it. I know it could get ugly, but I also know that, you know, catchers for the most part aren't contributing steals. So it's like average and power and he's got as much power as any of them. So I feel like it's a pretty fair spot. Um, like none of the guys going, you know, I know a lot. It's very common right now to hate on Gary Sanchez. I get it. But I mean, how many of the guys below this do you really want over him? I mean, I like None for me, really. I mean, besides maybe McCann, but I'm saying like the next tier down, it's just, yeah, I, I don't mind it. I think it's pretty, a, <clears throat> pretty appropriate where he's going. I haven't taken him anywhere. I don't have the guts to take him anywhere. I've just kept going down and waiting longer, but I get it. It's like, how many of those guys are you taking over him when you look at the next group? And I don't know. I've, I've been scared off of him, but if he could just even hit 200, this is a great and stay healthy. This is a great value. And I, I have heard some people who pay close attention to the Yankees and watch a lot of their preseason games saying that he really did seem to dedicate himself and seems like a different guy this spring. And that's all, that's all just speak. We'll, we'll see once the games actually start, but maybe this was the kind of humbling experience that, Maybe he had to put a little more focus into it this offseason. We'll see. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting with him because I feel like it could go so many ways. Yes, I, it's kind of uh, it's kind of tough to nail exactly how it's going to go, but I'm curious to see it. I can easily close my eyes and see a top five catcher, and I can easily close my eyes and see a backup catcher because they traded for somebody else in July. Right. Yeah, I could see both too. Either one's possible. All right, let's round out the top 20 catchers here, 13 through 20. These guys are going between picks 204 and number 20 is at 308. So we're talking basically rounds 13 to 20. Mitch Garver is 13th catcher, Buster Posey at 14, Jorge Alfaro at 15, Carson Kelly at 16, Yadi Molina at 17, 
Wilson Ramos at 18, Alejandro Kirk at 19, and Danny Jansen, his teammate, at number 20. So of this group, who do you like? I think my two favorites are probably... Well, my favorite is, uh, at least for where they're going, is is Yachty. Um, I, I mean, he's a lock to play. He's going to... or I expect him to help you in batting average, or at least definitely not hurt you. So many of these guys at this position hurt you in batting average. So it's kind of a nice, I've actually paired him with Sanchez in a couple spots. Felt like that was pretty solid. Um, but yeah, the one thing with Yachty, like compared to these guys, I just know he's not going to lose playing time. Like I absolutely know it no matter what he'd have to be hurt. So, and some of these other guys, like, I just don't feel as confident about that. So that may seem like not that much, but it's pretty important when you get to a certain point. And he's just like the steady guy you just leave in there and roll with it, you know. So I'm comfortable with him. Uh, I really like Kirk as a potential breakout, but I do have some concern with like how long does it take him to start getting the majority of the at-bats a catcher? Personally, I think he's better than Jansen right now. But that doesn't mean that he's going to get more than half of the at-bats a catcher right now. And if it's not till June or July, obviously that dings him. And, I mean, that's probably reflected some here in the ADP. I get that. But, yeah, I like him. I just I hope that we can get to a point pretty quickly where he's um, he's getting the majority of the the at-bats, I, I feel like we've seen enough of Danny Jansen, but that's well, just kind of my thought on it. I want to touch right on that. You said you think he's better than Jansen right now. Are you factoring in defense when you say that, or are you basically saying that as an offensive category producer? Offensive, yeah. I Yeah, mostly offense. Because that's what, you know, there's so much that's applied to the, like, there's so much that's given to the, how they are defensively. And I don't, I haven't really even heard how Kirk is behind the plate, but I think the fact that Jansen's been back there, the, you know, the last couple of years, and he's, he's kind of the, the leader of that staff. I don't, I'm kind of, I'm skeptical of it becoming more than a timeshare at any point this year. I think I could see it being a 50, 50 split at some point, but I think with how Jansen's, really focused on that defense the last couple of years. And I, th- I think he's an all right defensive catcher back there. And he's uh, oddly enough, the veteran back behind there. I wonder if we're going to see much of uh, like it, we ever see at any point where Kirk's getting more playing time, but that said, Jansen has been abysmal for a couple of seasons. He was, you know, I've joked a lot about how my bold predictions two years ago, all of them came true when I doubled down in 2020 Danny Jansen, I'd put both of them down, and it did not work for him in 2020. So he was the one that didn't work when I doubled down. But, um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, we'll just see on that end. That's, I feel like I say that a lot, but I'm really curious. I think it's all, it all comes down to how Alejandro Kirk does on, behind the plate is whether he starts getting more of the playing time back there. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to a lot of just how they're both playing too. You know, mm-hmm. if one of them's hot, one of them's slumping it's probably not strong enough going into the season where it couldn't flip or stay, you know, 
stay with one guy over the other. So it's probably just going to be an in-season type of thing, I would think. Mitch Garver, he hit 30 home runs in a half season of games in 2019 as he split time with Jason Castro with um, in Minnesota. And the wheels came off last year. He hit 167 with two home runs, eight runs, and five RBI in 23 games before injuries hit. Uh, are, you, are you confident at all? Like, How are you feeling in ter- on him in terms of the possibility of a rebound? You know, not not real confident. I think it's because um, I like Jeffers some, and I just think that there's going to be somewhat of a split there, and it feels like Garver's kind of – I actually compare this situation a lot to uh, – I know Jeffers is a little further down in the next tier, but I compare the situation a lot to Jansen and Kirk. It's kind of similar to me, although I know Garver's had more success than Jansen, but – um, yeah, I just feel like it's going to be somewhat of a split. Uh, Garber will probably get more of it, but, um, I don't know. I don't feel great about it. No, it was a small sample last year, so you probably can't factor it in too much. And I mean, he could really be a value if he bounces back. I mean, obviously going around pick 200 or a little bit after it's really good. So just not a guy that I've been on, but, uh, could be wrong on that. Yeah, my thing is he's I mean, he has to be great to be a value and here's why. I mean, 31 home runs, 273 batting average, 70 runs and 67 RBI, really good stats. That's in 93 games played. Even when he was great 2 years ago, they were still splitting time with him and Jason Castro. And I think that might just be a Twins way of thinking where they like to keep both guys fresh. They liked having Castro out there. He's a really good pitch framer. And I think they took that into account with this and just trying to keep both guys fresh throughout the year to where, yeah, I think you're hoping to get 50% of the playing time with Garver, maybe 55. And even if you get that, I mean, you have to you have to be fantastic. I mean, 31 home runs in 93 games is something you don't see. And I don't think anybody is projecting remotely close to that out of him. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point about the games. It, I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, that's um, <laughs> kind of weird that he hit that many and he was never hurt. Was barely was barely playing more than half the games. Yeah, I owned him in a daily league, so that's how I knew. I picked him up two years. I remembered ago. it as you said it. I remembered it. I just hadn't thought of it, you know, <laughs> for this year. Give the guy 150 games and he t- and keep that pace and he hit 50 home <laughs> runs that season. Yeah, no kidding. It's crazy. It, it just, I mean, it was crazy the year he had that year. It was, I mean, the numbers per game was beautiful. And in a daily league, I absolutely loved him for that reason. Yeah. All right, now time for the next group. We got the also-rans, the 21 through 30 catchers. We're talking about guys going between picks 321 and 450. Nine is the 30th guy. So we're talking basically rounds 20 through 30 here. Uh, Jan Gomes with uh, is the catcher number 21. Then we got Tom Murphy at 22. Pedro Severino at 23. Omar Navarez at 24. The guy you mentioned before, Ryan Jeffers at 25. Max Stassi at 26. Jacob Stallings at 27. 
Tyler Stevenson at 28, Sam Huff, 29, and Elias Diaz with the Rockies at 30. So, Andrew, you grabbed other positions and have to take somebody else from this group, or maybe even two guys because you really missed out and you just decided to let it go. Name two or three that you'd be most likely to grab. You mentioned Jeffers. Give me at least one or two more. Yeah, I think Jeffers and um, possibly Tyler Stevenson, though I haven't gotten him anywhere. I I mean, really, at this spot, I'm probably just shooting for a little bit of upside. Um, the other answer that I may give you is just the one that falls the farthest <laughs> because you, there's a lot of sameness here, you know, and um, – you know, like if I'm deciding between Jan Gomes and Tom Murphy and Max Stassi, um, like if I'm in a draft and those guys are are the top three catchers and I need one, I'm pretty much just like, okay, I'm going to just wait until one of them's left. And granted, you could always miss it. I mean, like they could all go on one turn or whatever, but uh, – I try and just get the most value out of that that I can mm-hmm. and wait as long as I can. And I do that all the time with a lot of positions. I mean, this stage of the draft, it's like, you know, I'll have two or three outfielders in a group, two or three relievers, and maybe two or three catchers, whatever. But when I see a lot of guys that are similar like that or that don't pop or stick out, whatever you want to call it, I'm just waiting as long as I possibly can to take whoever I take, because I, I feel like that, uh, the gap between these guys, especially when you consider that there's going to be some part-time playing time in here and the numbers that they put up just is unlikely to be too overwhelming. I mean, it's not going to be a ton. So, uh, yeah, the gaps are just not that wide and I feel like it's just best to wait as long as you possibly can. The one on the group I like is Omar Nevarez. um, coming off of that really good 2019 season with the Mariners. He went to Milwaukee last year and it was ugly. And I don't know. I just want to buy into possibly seeing if there's a rebound there. It's kind of like getting Mitch Garver, except you're waiting longer and also more likely to get more playing time there in Milwaukee. So, you know, I said, I've been getting a lot of the 15 to 25 guys and he's been one of the last ones I've taken in a lot in any draft I've done so far as Nervaez. I haven't gone any below that, but um, Sam Huff is someone I see a lot of love on. Huge power, huge swing and miss. What are your thoughts on him? Are you kind of are you on in or out on that guy? I haven't really been in on him. I mean, I I don't think he's going to start in the majors. I'm pretty sure he's not. Actually, I I'm pretty sure they're going to run with uh, Jose Trevino and Jonah Heim to start. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got Heim from Oakland. Um, and that doesn't mean that Huff won't get a shot, but when does he get it? And I'm not necessarily too convinced on his skills to begin with. I mean, he has some power, but I don't know, maybe more of like a guy that mid season on could be helpful, but I don't really see it early on. Yeah. I mean, just going back to the last full season of baseball and in low a, he had a 32% strikeout rate in 30 games there, went up to a high A, got it down to 
But yeah, there's just so much swing and miss in this guy. I'm yeah, if he can if he can hit at a Gary Sanchez level, hit I, I shouldn't say that. Well, like I said with Gary Sanchez, if he could hit two hundred to two thirty, there's a lot of upside there in that bat, but man, I just don't know if he can get there personally. Yeah, a big thing will just be when does he come up? Because if he's, you know, the third catcher on their depth chart, and I'm not saying he is for sure, but it's kind of looking that way. I actually kind of like Jonah Heim a little bit, but that's assuming that he starts in the majors because I think that with Texas being what they are, Trevino's probably not going to get a real long look unless he's just great. Mm-hmm. So I think that it'll eventually be Heim or Huff, but um, – yeah, it's just when you're behind those guys, it just takes longer. And as a result, you know, pushes back or shortens the window of time that you have to contribute, obviously. so. All right, let's move on. 31 through 40, so we're talking mostly reserve round here for these guys. Uh, Kurt Suzuki. This is a, this. This is everybody's favorite right here. This is the this is the group. Oh yeah, when we t- <laughs> this is what everybody's here for is all of this deep dive on catchers. I'm trying to breeze through these. We're going to talk about utility guys <laughs> soon. So if you really don't want to listen anymore, <laughs> I'm even going to put in the show notes when we start on utility guys, and you can st- look at the show notes and fast forward. So don't leave, please, please. Uh, 31 through 40 these guys are going between 465 and 538 Uh, Kurt Suzuki Joey Bart Francisco Mejia Adley Rutschman Martin Maldonado Roberto Pena Jose Trevellano Tucker Barnhart Luis Torrens and Victor Caratini Uh, Andrew do we see Adley in 2021 I think it's close I I would put it probably right around 50-50. So, about 50-50. I think if the Mar- the Marlins, uh, Orioles were competing, I think I would feel more confident. I feel less confident that because of that. But you never know. I mean, he was a college bat who came up. I mean, he probably is ready right now. And yeah. if, if he was, like, playing on the Padres or something, I think there's a good chance he'd be up opening day. Yeah, well, I don't think he's going to be up opening day. I, no. I mean, I you never want to be like too sure of a guy like that not coming up. You know, it's just one of those things that. Um, I mean, I think he's their franchise cornerstone, or at least likely to be, or chance he is, whatever you want to call it. But uh, not too long after he comes up, and whether they're competing or not, I don't know. You know. It, it will not surprise me at all if it's May, June, July, and he's called up. It just won't surprise me. I mean, it happens all the time with prospects that are much worse than Adley Rutschman. So have, it just won't surprise me one bit. Have you taken him in, in a single NFBC draft this offseason? I think I took him in one. Okay. Yeah, it's like my – third catcher or whatever and then i made sure i got uh playing time <laughs> really boring playing time <laughs> with <laughs> with my fourth but yeah yeah i remember I, i'm pretty sure just one i i'm not really confident that he's that he's up i mean either you know even the stuff that i said because obviously baltimore likely to be 
bottom of the barrel and you could easily just hold off. But or, you know, he could come up in September or I could see something like that, too, where he comes up right at the end and doesn't really impact too much. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. But the minute he's up, he's worth owning in every league. So you kind of just have to keep tabs on it. Joey Bart, is he the starting catcher getting the majority of the playing time by the end of 2021? I think so, yeah. I Probably going to be rough for him at the start of the year. They got um, they signed Kirk Casale as the backup. Obviously, they have Posey. But I think that Bart will be getting, if not, you know, maybe not all the starts at catcher at the end of the year, but half or some of them. Yeah, I think starting catcher, I I don't know for sure, I guess. But I think that it'll kind of be trending that way, especially when you consider that San Francisco's probably not going to be very good. Yeah. And this is the last year that Posey contract he signed that goes through the end of 2021 there's a 2022 club option that i am almost certain will be declined maybe they'll bring him back on a team-friendly deal just to be the part-time player next year or maybe this is his last year i don't know he's he's only 33 he's not as old as you'd think but um i did i've spoken with somebody who in the last month who really liked luis torrens and his upside do you have any thoughts on him well, he just, you know, main thing, I guess, with him is just um, getting the regular playing time. But it's like all he's really got a hurdle is Tom Murphy. So mm-hmm. that's not too bad. But, um, yeah, interesting little player. I mean, hit 15 home runs at double A in 2019 and hasn't done much in the majors yet. But that was with the uh, the Padres. So hasn't done much in the majors, but he hasn't had much of a shot either. So. Yeah, it's one of those where um, Seattle, you could see him get an opportunity. And, you know, these some of these uh, these back-end catchers, it's like if you, can, if you can squint and see the opportunity being there, they can vault up. I mean, he, he's definitely worth taking in this spot, I think. Especially if you draft Tom Murphy. That seems like a pretty good idea to actually combo both of them, too. And get Murphy and then get Torrens just in case something goes wrong there. Yeah, I actually did. Um, I don't do, usually do that, but in that draft where I took Real Muto in round four, I took Andrew Knapp at oh. like the round 40. Because obviously I knew about the injury, and then I was like, well, I'm going to just take Knapp as like my fourth. So I got the Phillies catcher either way. You just reminded me I'm in a draft and hold right now, and we're in round 47. I should have taken Andrew Kneiser. I didn't, but I did take two other catchers, so I guess it doesn't matter. All right, um, I listed off a few more catchers below the rest of the group. Anybody else on that list of any interest in you, even if it's later in the season? I mean, it's always good to keep tabs on catchers if your second catcher is giving you problems or if he's just terrible. But no, not really. I mean... If an injury pops up or something to some of the guys in front, you know, like Kiebert Ruiz, he's on he's on this list. Like if something was to happen to Will Smith and he was playing, obviously, you know, you're going to be interested. So. But no, I mean, I think most of these guys are going to need 
something to happen to the guy in front of him other than maybe Jason Castro because I think he's probably going to start for Houston or at least be in a timeshare with Maldonado. So, yeah, I think most of these guys are backups. Castro has been one I've really enjoyed grabbing in the reserve rounds this whole offseason, and I did the same thing last year, and it's because he's such a good pitch framer, and as long as we're pitch framing still matters before we go into automated balls and strikes, I think he matters and is going to get at least a 50-50 time split wherever he's at. So, yeah, I do like grabbing him. I don't think his bat's great, but just to get at bats is all I'm saying. Yeah. So, okay, we're just going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to cover the utility players. All right, Andrew. Uh, due to the shortened season and the universal DH, there are more UT-only players this year. Does this change how you're thinking about these guys? Uh, maybe a little bit. More to do with the guys, you know, like there's five pretty good ones, I would say. Um and there usually isn't. And I feel like, and this is just my opinion. I know there's varying opinions on this, but I am not afraid to take utility guys in drafts. If I, you know, I feel like that they go later than they should. I just feel like that the production is worth it. You have to fill the slot anyways. And I can uh, still have, pieces that I can move around at other spots, you know, later in the draft or whatever, like multi-eligible guys and stuff like that to make my lineup flexible. So I like, you know, like I've always been a guy that's drafted crews. It, it seemed to pay off every year. Um, doesn't mean it always will, but I think the biggest thing for me this year is because there's five of them that I, I'm really interested in all five of them, but I'm less likely to take the ones that go one or two. Like, because I feel like that any of them could be worth, could be the most valuable or at least four out of the five, maybe. So that's really it though. I mean, I actually, I like getting one of these guys in drafts. I, I generally am always kind of looking at it because I just, I feel like the production's worth it and I don't, I just don't care about uh, putting them, in, them into my utility spot. Completely agree. And I just went and looked because I knew I've taken Nelson Cruz at quite a few draft and holds. Three out of the four leagues I've taken him. And I've taken one of the other utility guys, I think in, two, in one of the other, one of the other one. I th- yeah. And yeah, well, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, let's get into these first three guys. They're going pretty much right around the five to seven round fifth sixth seventh round as adp uh jordan alvarez at 82 then we got jd martinez at 94 and nelson cruz at 96 so we got three different guys here we got the injury prone young guy the guy who's got i should say the bad the guy with the bad knees who's young who had the monster and was a monster in 2019 
Then we got the grizzled 40-year-old veteran in Nelson Cruz. Or the slightly younger veteran who isn't too far removed from being an MVP candidate, but coming off a down season in J.D. Martinez. Who do you like of this group? Whichever one goes third, honestly. I, and it's, I mean, I'm typically waiting even a little more to these next two, but I, I would probably take Cruz to answer the question if I had to pick one first. He's your first one. Um, but I haven't been getting much Cruz, honestly, because other people are taking him first or second of these guys. And there was a draft where I took Jordan. It was actually the um, Baseball 365, the leagues that can set up for, uh, you know, the Kings League or whatever that mm-hmm. we're in. And I took him in round, but I took him in round eight. And I took him after J.D. Martinez and Nelson Cruz. So that's like the only scenario I'm getting Jordan. And I got him in that draft, and I, I was fine with it. But like if he's going first off the board, I'm just not taking it. I, I'll wait and take one of the other ones a round or two or you know, as you go down to the next couple guys, maybe even a few rounds later. But, yeah, I think they're all pretty similar. Um, J.D. had the tough year last year. I felt like he was just checked out. I owned him in a couple leagues and watched a lot of his at-bats. And Boston was so bad. And his body language and stuff, I know it's like, I don't know, kind of cliche or whatever to say. But it just it just seemed like he wasn't all there with what was going on. So I feel still like he should be all right. I'm not too worried about him. And, you know, you always have to have – the age in mind with Cruz, but then again, it's like he does it every single year. So it's kind of tough to get off of that. I feel like in Jordan, yeah, the knees are a problem, but um, he's really good too. So I guess in short, I like them all. And it's just, I kind of just wait for that sweet spot where I can take one of these guys. And um, I've had one or two drafts where I missed all of them including the next couple. And I just was like, uh, kind of bummed, you know? So in three of my five redraft leagues, I've grabbed JD Martinez. And this is something I want to touch on. I actually forgot to put him in the notes at first because I thought I had him in the outfield ranks and I hadn't. Andrew brought that to my attention because in a lot, if you play in a fan tracks league and you're using the NFBC results, it shows J.D. Martinez as outfield eligible because he has seven games played in the outfield. But, Andrew, you brought this to my attention. Why don't you tell everybody else why he's different in fan tracks and within FBC? Yeah, so the the very first draft that I did um, in November, I noticed, obviously, that he was utility only. And... On fan tracks, he was outfield. I was like, that doesn't make any sense because I had the settings for the leagues that I run at seven games and NFBC had it at seven games. So I was like, it just, it didn't add up, you know? So I emailed fan tracks and, or no, I'm sorry, I emailed NFBC. And I was like, why? Because it shows on, on fan tracks when you go to his page or whatever, it shows that he had seven games in the outfield. 
Uh, so I emailed NFBC and I'm like, why does JD Martinez utility only if he had seven games in the outfield? And they said that he had six games in the outfield. And in one of the games, he played two different positions. So when you look on the fan tracks page, it says left field, center field and right field. And, you know, it's like, I don't know the exact breakdown, but just say it's four and three. Well, there was one one game where he shifted from like right to left or left to right or whatever. I don't think he was playing any center. But <laughs> um, so and for whatever reason, it's like a glitch with fan tricks. I mean, it's just he technically played six games in the outfield, but it lists as seven. So NFBC has it as UT only because it was technically six. Fantrax has it as seven because just of the way that it scored it because he shifted positions. So I didn't mess with it in any of the leagues that I run. Um, but yeah, just something I, I, ne- I didn't even realize or know, you know, so um, kind of something to pay attention to. Yes. With if, you're, him. if you're playing on Fantrax or playing even on the other f- formats, pay attention to where he's eligible. Because I've drafted him in three leagues, but he's outfield eligible in all of them. And I've loved grabbing him. And I want to circle back to one thing. You mentioned his body language. I've talked to quite a few times this offseason about players who were affected by video. And J.D. Martinez was one of the guys that was the most vocal about how the in-game video was going to affect him. To where I bet there was part of that in there, too. I, I think that's a big reason for his struggles. He's another one of them I'm lumping into just throwing out what he did last year. And with them having in-game video again, I'm expecting a rebound and him to have a very good season again. Yeah, definitely wouldn't surprise me. I think I'd be, I think I'd be more surprised if he really struggled than I would if he just bounced back. Yeah. So, yeah, I like, I like where he's going. All right, next two guys we have here are big-bodied men. We got at four and five, we have Giancarlo Stanton at 121 and Fran Mill Reyes at 153 overall. Stanton has the upside to hit 50 to 60 home runs if he can stay healthy, and good Lord, he hit a monster home run this weekend, if you saw the replay of that. But it's now been um, two straight injury-riddled seasons for him, and he's now outside the top 100. So starting with Stanton, would you bite on him at around 120? So we're talking the ninth round. Yeah, definitely. I I would take him a little higher than that. I actually, in the draft I'm in now, I took him at the 7-8 turn. So like 105, 106. Uh, But I'm also on the, I was all, I'm on the end. So I didn't think he would come back. Um, These two are probably targets of mine a little bit more even than the three above. Just because I feel like that they can, they can do the same thing or close to the same thing that the guys above can. Um, I like all of them though. I really like Stanton. I mean, I just the price is so good. I know I get the issues. I get it, but it's all health. He's got tons of power. He's got the most power in the league still. I feel like so. Whatever you want to make of that, I get the warts with the injuries and all of that stuff, but. If he's healthy, I mean, we know what can happen, you know. So I like it. I like it here. I just I like it even a little higher than this. If you have to jump him, you know, around or something to 
make sure you get him if the other ones are gone. Uh, I probably would take him behind. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would take him behind Jordan, probably, but I don't know. That one's kind of close for me. Um, but yeah, I really like Stanton where he's at. The argument for him, another thing that I think we talked about this with Aaron Judge, you're not getting 80 games. Let's say he plays only 80 games this season. You're not getting 80 games of production for your fantasy spot in that in that slot. You're getting 80 games plus 80 replacement level games from whoever right. else you have. Right. And if you get 25, 30 home runs in a half season out of the guy, I mean, you're and you get, you pick, you throw in somebody else there who's pacing even for 10 or for 20 home runs, let's just say. You know, you know who you can grab off free agency. You're getting a 40 home run bat there in the 10th round or, you know, ninth, 10th round there. So that's the perk to him. That is a, that is a very good point because I, so often people talk about that. Like, oh, well, Stanton might miss or not just Stanton, but anybody that's injury prone. And it's like, you know, if Stanton plays 100 games or, you know, God forbid he plays 120 or 130 I mean those extra games that he's missing you're filling in a guy you're not it's not like he's just in there and you're getting zeros you're getting production still now granted it's not going to be his level of production but when you add it all together people don't talk about that enough like that um kind of thought people don't talk about it they just say oh he's injury prone he can't stay on the field and don't factor in that the games that he is out there or, you know, there's other examples too. just using it because we're on him, but they're so valuable, you know, and man, if, if he does stay healthy, I mean, it, it can be a league league winning type of type of pick. So yeah, I mean, I, I, this, this price, the upside is high enough. I'm just, I think it's worth it. I've only managed to grab one share this off season. It's actually, the one draft I redraft league I did with you this offseason, I managed to get him in the tenth round. I just went and looked; it was pick eleven. So I mean, I got him at pick number one forty six yeah. or something like that. I was pretty happy to get him there. I am guilty of that same thing of looking at a player. Maybe I don't say it out loud, but think about the injury proneness to them. And I do consider Stanton injury prone at this point. He's just such a big bodied individual who's now in his thirties. I think I do think about that when i think of these huge guys and speaking of huge guys fran mill reyes who i've always i just want to start right off and say i have never laughed i've laughed more watching fran mill reyes run around in the outfield than i have anybody else probably in my entire lifetime he just looks so clunky out there but he's utility only this year right now i do think he will get outfield eligibility by the time the season's over that is something that, with more games played, I, I do think he can get to 10 games played out there. But what are your thoughts? Oh, boy, my horn went off. Did you hear it? No, I did not. <laughs> I think that'll make its way into the show. If not, well, apparently yeah, I'm on the clock it. again. Um, either way, Fran Mill Reyes, I think he'll probably get to 10 games. What are your thoughts on him in the outfield or in, him at 153? I like him. It's kind of the same with these other guys. Um not quite at that level, maybe, you know, like he hasn't necessarily displayed quite the upside that the ones going in front of him have, but he's also going later. So it's similar type stuff. Uh, the one thing I wanted to touch on 
And I think part of the reason that I don't like taking the first or the second guy of these utility guys is there is nothing worse. And I thought of it when you said you got Stanton in round 10. Mm -hmm. When you take one of these guys and then you watch the other ones fall. Yeah. Because you can't draft two of them. Nope. There was one draft that I was in and uh, I think it was J.D. Martinez and Stanton. And I wanted J.D. Martinez over Stanton. But it was like one of those things where I would have rather just waited and then taken Stanton or whichever one went second. But I was on kind of the end and I I didn't want them to both go. And I was like, I got to do it. And um, I wound up taking J.D. Martinez and Stanton made it back and wound up slipping and slipping. And it's just like, ugh, like if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have done it, you know? And um, yeah, that's just the one thing. And I think that's why I'm waiting here to like Stanton and Fran Mill. Um, that said, you don't want to play chicken for too long because if you do and you miss them, and if you want these guys, I mean, obviously there's people that aren't that interested in uh, utility onlys, but um, I kind of, like I said, I kind of like these guys and uh, just don't want to wait too long, but. I tell you, watching those guys slip, it's brutal. Like, and I, I've seen it happen a couple times uh, this off season. So I just don't feel like the gaps between them. I mean, do you agree with me? Like, Jordan. I mean, I think Jordan and Franmil could be very similar. Yeah, and they're going seventy picks apart. Yeah, they're they both they could provide a uh, quite a few of the same stats. I, I think Jordan's upside for the RBI department. I could see him just being bananas in that if he yeah. was to actually stay healthy. But yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I would take Jordan over Fran Mill. I'm just saying that um, that's just kind of how I feel about these guys. I feel like that they're all, they have slightly different warts, most of them. Um, but they all in like a perfect case season are relatively similar. So yeah, I think that's just kind of why I, I try and push it as long as I can, but still try and get one. And just going into strategy here for a second, you know, you and I both have been on the mindset of get the pitching early and get some speed power speed guys early. And in doing that, that means you're behind the ball in power. And yep. that's the beauty of these five guys here. They are yep. guys who you can count on for 30 plus home runs. If they can get you a, decent portion of a season or you're going to get that out of those slots if they're even playing half of a season you're probably going to get 30 home runs out of it and possibly 40 and that's just a really good way of catching up with the because with the field because these guys are discounted because they're ut only and yep definitely one last thing on fran mill you know i just or stanton i I mentioned getting him in the 10th round i just went and looked at the kings league because i'm like i would bet anything you took one of those utility guys earlier you said that's the worst thing and you did get jordan in that draft you took him in the eighth round and yeah that's why stanton held out (laughs) hung out there to the 10th round for me but that said you got friend yeah and i would rather have i would rather have had stanton in the 10th yeah it was just you got Jordan you know, and then how you got long him in the eighth. Wait. Yeah, but it's like how long do you wait and then they both go or something, you know? And I that was also a couple months ago and I've kind of thought it over more since, but yeah, just kind of how I feel about it. 
All right, let's move on. We got Shohei Otani as the last guy going in the starting rounds, and he's the two-way player. But, you know, I've mentioned already that I don't even think I want him as a starter. I I just don't want any part of him in weekly leagues because I think he's going to be pitching a good part of the season. But let's say the Angels announced tomorrow that Otani was a full-time hitter. Where do you think he'd go overall, and what kind of stat line would you be projecting out of him? And I think he'd go. I think he'd go higher. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know exactly where, but I think he would go higher than two twenty one. Stat line, I would say like two sixty, two seventy. Um, mid twenties homers, ten steals maybe 12, 10 to 12 steals and pretty good counting stats. Yeah. I think he'd be good. I mean, I, I mean, I have said it a million times. I feel like with Otani, I, it's tricky to me because in a weekly league or, you know, like a lot of the leagues I play in on NFBC and in the dynasties and stuff, it's uh weekly pitching and then, you know, you can sub out your hitters on Friday, so it's Monday through Thursday, Friday through Sunday hitting. But with Otani, he's just a weekly player in that format because if you have him in as a hitter Monday through Thursday, you can't make him a pitcher Friday through Sunday. So he's just a weekly player. And it's just it's not as appealing, obviously. So daily's totally different. So yeah, it's like that part of my brain is still working on valuing him in in like a weekly league i just i don't really know what to do with it and i feel like as a result i fade him but if you like him and you want him it's a damn good price i mean it's it's kind of like at the point where you don't really have to i mean like it's what is this round 16 17 i mean i can't hate on it in this spot. I just can't. He has a ton of talent. He's really good and he's going to provide you some type of value. It's probably tough going into the year, like without them announcing he's a full-time hitter to know exactly where that value is going to be. But, um, it's hard for me to really hate on it. If somebody wants to take him, I just probably won't be me. Yeah. There's a lot of upside there. Even if you're taking him and it's rough in the early going, it, all it takes is one elbow injury, one shoulder thing, or just him being terrible at pitching and it's not working out. And all of a sudden, he's an incredibly valuable player. I think he's going ahead of Stanton. If he's if they announce he's a UT only guy, I think he's closer to that top three. Because you said mid twenties and ten to twelve. I I would if I if you told me he was getting five hundred and fifty at bats, I think I'd have it closer to thirty and fifteen. Maybe maybe slightly below on both of those, but I think he's yeah close. could be and could be yeah just so valuable hitting in the middle of that lineup for the Angels. I love I love the guy as a hitter. I I just I really love him as a hitter. The and but he's only going to get you three to four starts a week as a hitter, and then he's going right. out there pitching. And I've already mentioned on the pitching side that I don't think he's going much more than five innings. So I just don't see a valuable player on either side right off the bat. Maybe it'll change as the year goes on, and I hope it does because I'm cheering for him. I have him in a daily league, and I wouldn't. Tr- I 
will not even entertain trade offers with him. Yeah, I'm just gonna... that's that changes everything. If it's daily, it changes everything. Yeah, Ben Briggs, uh, my buddy Ben Briggs, he took him in a daily auction because we were talking about that in my auction league, and he took him for he he got him for a decent price. His top bid was forty dollars that he was willing to pay for him, which is nice. just a it's a lot of money. But I mean, I also get it. There's no other nine category performer. He will produce nine categories. Yeah. All right. Then we got the rest of the rest. We got reserved round um, utility guys. Miguel Cabrera at 497. Chris Davis with a K at 554. And free agent Edwin Encarnacion at 660. Would you draft any of these guys in the reserve rounds? Well. Let me change I... that. Let me change that before you go. If you've already taken one of the first guys and, and then if you haven't taken any of them. If I've already taken one of the first ones, no. If I haven't, I would take Miguel Cabrera. Um, I actually took him in one draft. Um, and he, he actually hit the ball hard last year, played pretty good. If you look at some of the uh, batted ball data and stuff. So I don't mind him around. I mean, pick 500. It's kind of whatever. Uh, and it's like I said, that's only if I miss on all the other guys at the top. But, yeah, I've, I've considered him even – in like draft and holds where I, I did miss on those guys. And I think I did get him in one, but um, Chris Davis, it's hard to hate on picks this late, you know? Yeah. So I won't hate on it too much, but probably not. Same with that. Same with uh, Edwin. Yeah. Edwin not even signed. I'm wondering if he's going to be, I wonder if this is it for him. I, yeah. I, it was I've so rough that last too. year. I really, yeah, at the beginning that. of the offseason, I was pretty confident somebody was going to take a flyer, but now it's March. Now I'm thinking it's more likely than not that he's not signed on opening day, and I've maybe somebody grabs him as a flyer if they have some injuries, but, yeah, I'm not optimistic at this point. Yeah, me either. Okay, well, that wraps up our hitters, Andrew. We are done with hitters. We just have closers left to go. We're getting close. Yep, we uh, run into marathon and almost to the finish line. I guess <laughs> relievers. So I actually guess yeah, with the hitters, we're I all guess, done. I guessed it on a podcast just the other day. Um, a guy, uh, passion for the pastime is the name of the podcast. Wally Ikabelsetta. I am probably butchering that again, Wally. Um, if you haven't. I listened to it. I think he's, I don't think it's posted yet. I think it'll be up soon, but he was asking me about what we're doing over here. And I was talking about all of our rankings and I'm like, we start this in January and it's a lot of fun, but by God, whenever we get to this point, we're ready to be done. Cause it's a marathon. It's work. And it's, it's almost a relief when it's done. Cause it's done a and B we're almost to see the actual season. We're getting close. Yeah. So anyway, We'll be back here in a couple days, and we're going to get some closers, uh, some reliever talk. And we definitely save those for last because it is by far the most volatile position, and we want to try getting as much as we could out there, as much information as we could before we put that podcast out because it changes so much during the offseason. So one more to go. We'll be back in a couple days. Until then, take care, everybody. Yeah, take care, guys. 
Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 